On this week's episode, Lee Griffin returns to the pulpit to preach to us about the advantages, fuel savings, and time savings of altitude. I'm just, I'm just saying, there's, there's advantages to going higher. Nobody wants to do it, but you, people don't realize the true performance of the airplane. They want to get into the next bigger airplane, graduate up because the airplane they have right now is not fast enough. That's why these Cirruses got popular. Well, if you flew a 182 at a higher altitude and not worry about a nosebleed or putting on oxygen, you'd go faster. Oh, I'm sure. If you want to stay at 2,500 feet, burn extra gas and go slower, by all means. Yeah, but Scott Boris mocks my impeccable work ethic. I don't be aged once. Can you come up and weed eat around the front building? I was like, Rob just did that. And they're like, yeah, we know. Can can you come up up and do it? (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) And I start a new show segment wherein the three of us give advice to the men and women out there working line service at airports. All right. Everyone out there listening who's like line service. All right. This is a, this is, Golden, golden wisdom here from old line guys. Uh, you get all ready to do a job, and if like you know you don't really like, if you finish the job and then you got like another hour or something to think of something to do, and you don't want to do that, you just make the job last longer. You just basically stop the job at a comfortable point and just kind of sit there. Right, 91.103, which is pre-flight action required, part 91. Uh, We'll get right into it. Each pilot in command shall, before beginning a flight, become familiar with all available information concerning that flight. This information must include, uh, and then there's A and B. Uh, A is for a flight under IFR or a flight not in the vicinity of an airport, weather reports and forecasts, fuel requirements, alternatives available if the flight, if the planned flight cannot be completed, and any known traffic delays of which the pilot in command has been advised by ATC. So, first of all, right at the bat, um, it's saying familiar with all available information concerning that flight. Um, and then it's it's specifically putting things in, but that's kind of a coverall. Like it's everything. Like you're supposed like to know. Work. Yeah, which I feel like that's just a broad catch-all. Yeah. Like yeah. The, so if like they could anything that maybe you didn't foresee that came up, you're like, well, you should have known that because. Right. Why why add specifics in there if you're just yeah. supposed to know everything? I assume these are the important ones that they want to explicitly state, but so IFR flight or flight not in the vicinity of an airport. So if you're VFR local, does this rule not apply at all? Um, that's, I mean, no, I would say it, I would say it doesn't, I would say aspects of it still apply, you know? So of course we haven't read the whole thing, you know, it's kind of, whatever, but we've t- kind of talked about when you're staying in the pattern weather reports, you're already at like, let's say, like, let's say the weather gets bad. So it's good when you take off, which obviously needs to be, you can, you can prevent the takeoff. You can't, pre- you know, eventually you have to land, but you can stay on the ground indefinitely. Right. So as long as the weather is good, when you took off, if you have to make an emergency landing, you were still in the pattern. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're kind of, they're kind of giving you a little bit of leeway there. See what I'm saying with the weather reports? Okay. Fuel requirements. You run out of gas, you're in the pattern for an airport. You know what I'm saying? So if we just go through this and treat it like a checklist, weather reports. Okay. I'm at the airport. I know what the weather is right now. If it gets bad, I'm still at this airport. Basically, I'm in the pattern. Fuel requirements. If I run out of gas, I should, you know, Obviously, there's a line where eventually you take off and you rotate to pitch up, you know, and take off you know, to to lift off. You know, you might, you know, unport, the, the, you know, the fuel and you might not suck any. That would be really stupid. But um, alternatives if the plan can't be uh, completed. Um, You're staying in the airport area anyway. It's VFR. So, again, there's no traffic delays. You're already there. 
You know what I mean? So you can go through this in checklist if you're staying, uh, treat it like a checklist if you're staying in the pattern. That's the way I would think about it. I'm not going to check the weather if I'm just going to stay. Yeah, the, you know, like I'm if I'm already at the airport right now, I'm not going to check the weather again. If I can look out and be like, yeah, there's no storms. It's you not, better. you know, could, a half mile visibility. Up. What's up? They could pop up. They could, but you'll, you're there at the airport yeah. when it starts to deteriorate land. And you're, you got to check the wind forecast too, because could be some gusty winds coming up. Well, there could be, but I mean, and, and that does happen. You get a squall line come through. That's, right. That is totally possible. I never fly without checking the wind. You can see that coming though, a squall line. Exactly. And that's, that would be my argument. You can see the squall line coming. You can see the, you know, that sheet, that wall of rain coming. Sometimes you go out in the morning, it's a nice summer day and it's calm. And then like an hour later, you got gusty winds. You're flying a little 150 around. You don't really want to. But you're in the pattern. You have literally well, three okay, minutes if you, between yeah, if you're landings. Doing, if you're doing takeoffs and landings, but if you're like bopping around, you know, the area. That is what I would consider local. I mean, that, that would, yeah, I, I would say staying in the pattern. Uh, well, yeah, what's the definition of local, though? I guess I would maybe well, treat that differently. It's technically, it says vicinity of an airport. What's, what would be considered vicinity of an airport? Like, if you can see, if you can see visually the airport when you're bopping well, around. On visibility, though. No, vicinity, I would uh, use as a distance. Yeah. Not a. Is that what you're just talking about? You, it depends on the visibility. What are you talking about? Well, no, I'm saying he said if you could see the airport, and I said, well, that depends on what the visibility is. Because if you got five miles visibility, then you know you get outside of there, you can't see the airport. I but guess the metric the I would probably use. Yeah, I guess the metric I would use if I were, um, you know, trying to uh, explain this to a very novice pilot or a student pilot, probably need to be able to glide to the airport. Oh, that's so pretty the, close. How are, yeah, hell yeah. Well, yeah, that or you're high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that's that how, I mean, how else could you make, there is no one size fits all distance, I guess. It doesn't make sense because for somebody to be in a, uh, a Piper Malibu or a Cirrus, their proximity in minutes to an airport, you like, let's say three miles, five miles from the airport, that if you were to turn that into minutes to get there, that's one thing. But I can be that same five miles away in a J3 Cub and it can take me a, a minute. Decent, decent amount of time to get back. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, I guess that's what I mean. If, if we're in an emergency, go five miles. What's that? It's going to take you a lot more than a minute to go five miles. Well, yeah, yeah, I understand. That'd be right, a pretty super fast cub. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. What did I say? Minute or I say minutes? I don't know. You I know don't, what I, I don't know. Whatever. I heard minute. Well, you get. I mean, there's a there's just I'm a just, big difference between what a series can I just, cover I just mileage wise. Of, I never heard of a cub going that fast. Well, I don't know what I said. I thought I meant to say minute. I'm thinking and I'm I'm thinking ahead, but yeah, one thing. So to make it, you, not you screwed, you screwed it, up, Lee. It's okay. It's okay. Well, yeah, I guess I did. My math does suck, but anyways, I would just <laughs> I would probably put it in context of be able to glide because if you look kind of at what they're getting at is if something drastic were to change, be able to put it down and yeah. a mechanical malfunction is right in line with these things. Whether we're saying doesn't really matter. I'm that close fuel doesn't really matter because I'm that close, you know, alternatives doesn't matter because it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to be reasonably within gliding distance. And of course that now that just interjects a whole nother variable. What's reasonable. And so I would just say, be able to glide. And the last part, I mean that the last part of that checklist is, um, any known traffic delays of which the pilot in command has been advised by ATC. Um, if you're just staying in the area, that, that's not really applicable either. Cause you're not going to be, no, you can see, yeah, you're you not going to be see, delayed yeah. in just like an area. You're just staying in. You're already there. Right. Um, right. So the, we've kind of gone off and talked about, you know, we've latched onto this, not in the vicinity of an airport. So really the first thing that a lot of people are going to look at is the fact this is about IFR for flight under IFR. 
So we've looked at it as, hey, if you're in the vicinity of an airport, we can basically say a lot of these things don't necessarily apply. That's kind of the route we've taken on describing this. But if we kind of transpose that and read this the way they intend it, they're saying if you're going on a flight that is IFR or not in the vicinity of an airport, these are things you need to be intimately familiar with. That's the, the intent of this. We've gone another route in it to make it maybe apply to more to somebody staying in the pattern or staying local in the vicinity of an airport yeah. like we're talking about. But the way that you, they don't they don't want you to read the, you know, the anti version of this. You know what I mean? So these are the things you need to do. These are the things you need to know and you need to check and need to be intimately familiar with before you take off for most flights unless you're staying in the pattern. Yep. For lack of a better term. Well, then this is all under part A we've covered so far. And that part A is, I see the only one that has in the vicinity of part B is, I think, all flights, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, so e- even if you're in the vicinity of an airport, yep. you still need to do this second section we're going to cover here, part B, uh, which is for any flight runway lengths at airports of intended use and the following takeoff and landing distance information. Uh, one for civil aircraft for which an approved airplane or rotorcraft flight manual containing takeoff and landing distance data is required. The takeoff and landing distance data contained therein. What is, what are they trying to get there? If, if your plane has the data, you got to use it. Is that yes. the, the gist yes. of that? Cause some airplanes don't, don't they all have, have, I mean, maybe like a home built something. I don't know. Don't they all have, uh, they, so here they only list takeoff and landing. Well, probably ought to just, um, probably ought to read the second one okay. there too. Cause that, I mean, apply, I mean, we should yeah. read all of it. Before Number two for civil aircraft, other than those specifieds in paragraph B, one of this section, other reliable information appropriate to the aircraft late relating to aircraft performance under expected values of airport elevation and runway slope aircraft gross weight and wind and temperature they put too many ands in they should have used a comma but yeah. i digress semicolon people what the hell or just a colon whatever yeah, uh, yeah, yeah so that's the whole picture there right one and two so now we've now we've really buttoned it all up huh what did i miss something i don't what do you mean? What are you talking about? So the, we asked the question, so you have to use it. What if it's home-built, blah, blah, blah. That number two answers that question. Yeah, okay. So um, now, I mean, so basically, God, how many times have you done one of these in a 150? So a much. Pre-flight? You just did it in your head so much in training. Yeah, I don't. And then you eventually just did know it so well. That you just—I I only do it if it's close. I stopped doing pre oh, Okay, after like you know, first year of flying. So <laughs> you mean like literal pre pre flights or like pre flight planning? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just quit flying. <laughs> Scott basically just stopped flying. <laughs> so, no, I mean okay, I, so, I okay. check the airplane out. You know, I I do that kind of stuff, and I check the weather. Okay, that's good. it. That's where I stopped. So, Rob, you made you, you just mentioned a second ago if it's close. How do you know if it's close? That'd be my question to you. Well, if you you got you own the plane, you do it all the, back in the day when I was doing it all the time. If I it's like a normal day and I don't have like a passenger like a heavy passenger or it's not super hot out or if it's like going taking off of like Port Clinton airport where it's just thousands of foot runway. Like there's just stuff that you know foot. with, you don't have to do the math. You just know it's going to be fine. <laughs> Scott, <laughs> what's Scott say? Yeah. You're thousands of foot. <laughs> I said thousands of foot. Everybody heard it. Thousands of foot. <laughs> Well, that could be t-shirt. that could be two, that could thousands plural. That could be two thousand. That's not very long. Like yeah. Port Clinton's what seven thousand? I think it's five thousand six hundred. Yeah, fifty six hundred. So yeah, you take a runway like that with a one fifty. I mean, you have to be in some pretty extreme conditions to have to worry about um, doing the takeoff calculation 
in that scenario. Or like it at hind, you're taking off. How many times have we go in and out of there? Like I yeah, would do good the rule of thumb is I I just like if it's a really hot day, I wouldn't take a passenger if I had a lot of fuel. Well, I actually would do the calculations back in the day. I never did it. But um yeah, like you kind of just know. Like I just ask them how much they weigh and be like, okay, no. Well, yes. You got, I, I'm taking up two skinny myself and another skinny person. It's like seven, you know, 70 degrees out. And the, the tanks. Yeah, are, I wouldn't worry about tanks it. Tanks are only half full fuel. Yeah, then I wouldn't even worry about it's, it. You know, like I've done that calculation enough when I was like training to where I just know the math is tons of margins. Where if those start to st- other variables start to come into play, where I'm not, I'm not confident in that. I, I do. I run the numbers and make sure before I take off. That's what I. That's what I meant by that, Lee. Okay. So I mean, I guess I would say for everybody listening, don't do everything they just said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess I. And, and you know your airplane, and you guys, you know, exercise good judgment. Be conservative. Well, yeah. Being conservative. If I got an airplane I wasn't right familiar thing. with, I would. I would. No, no, it's not it. even that. It's not even that. You're, so somebody listening in their Malibu Matrix is like, oh. I fly this all the time. I got in here just fine. I bet I'll get out fine. Well, it's not the Malibu Matrix is a little different than a 150. Yeah. Well, and I understand that, but that needs to be kind of a disclaimer when you're, "Ah, I've done it before. I can do it again. That's basically what you guys just said. Um, uh, yeah, I, and that's okay. How many how many times do you think I've run times, numbers? How many times in I hit a little airplane? How many times have I hit the trees coming out of here? Zero. And cons- being conservative is the always the right choice. I'm pretty conservative, and I know you guys are conservative. Yeah. What's that? I'm pretty conservative when it comes to, and that is, that is what's kept you alive. But you know, it's remember these airplanes can have two totally different personalities. Well, if it's you know, if you land, if you took off density, I'll listen and listen good. Why are you always cutting me off? Anyways, <sighs> you come and you take off at you know nine a.m. in the morning, and it's fifty-eight degrees. That's going to be one performance. But if you're going to take off that afternoon when it's heated up to eighty, you took on fuel, whatever. That doesn't it doesn't. It's not the same airplane anymore. You know what I mean? I agree. That's why I would I would All run the numbers days. once it got like that hot out. Or if I was had well, yeah, weight as I could, re- I'd just tell my passengers I can't take them. Well, th- well yeah. So in your in the, it depends on what the operation is. If you went in there to pick up people, you came in at one weight and you're leaving at a different one, which is higher. That's one thing. Yeah. Now here's a situation. There is a possibility. You know, you've gone on a long flight. It's easy to run the the numbers. Like let's say you're going somewhere. You're not staying in the pattern. You're going somewhere. It is the same length of field that you took off out of, and you land there, but you've burned off fuel on the flight to get there. So now you're light. You land, but then you got to take off. You got to take on extra fuel to get to come out to get back where you came from. In a maybe in a 150, that's not that much weight. It's only what 25 gallons or something like that. But if you get into something again a little bit more, uh, has a lot more fuel, you know, capability, uh, you know, even su- some super cubs, yeah, they have great short field performance, but there's some that are modified. They hold 40 gallons of fuel per side. Jeez. Per side, that's 80 gallons of fuel. So that's, that's, that's 480 pounds. Okay. That's you, insane. You're talking, that's to, you're talking to the Alaska guy up in Alaska with 1,000 hours in his Super Cub is doing like those weight checks all the time? No. After, after I'm just a while, saying you can have two. You, you know okay, your yeah, own plane and you know when you're well within margins and you know when you're coming up close and maybe you do run the numbers. That's what I was saying. The, profesh- the professional pilot can do one thing. A student pilot always yeah. run the numbers. I used to work if you have five hundred, if you have two hundred hours, that's 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 why I was so confident. After a while, is because I learned in the one hundred and fifty, and I'd run those numbers so many times that I, I knew when it was, wouldn't be close. 
and that's when I ran them. That's getting. That's getting. I. I would say. I'm telling you. That's bad advice. Oh that's, yeah. That's it's you being. Bad you're, you're saying that's what people do though. I, I wouldn't advise I mean, someone else to do that, you, but I'm saying that. Yeah. Like if I was instructing somebody, I'd say you should run these numbers every time. But the way we learn to fly, like especially me, because I flew with somebody that threw the book out the window a long time ago, decades ago. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It just right. it didn't really occur to me to do it. It was just like you, you know, stuck your finger up in the air, and that's how you decided if you're going to fly or not. You know, it's just not literally. I'm just saying, you know, you didn't really, yeah, you didn't really do a lot of thought. This on is that. The, this is you the one you learned flew. that you didn't have a CFI. Because like, yeah, I mean, he was he was. I mean, he could have had a CFI. He's yeah. qualified, but he just he's like. Our f- the mean, official had, instructor. You, know, you had the same official of, one I did, Don Mather, and he he taught us how to do all this yeah, stuff and had us yeah, run it all the time yeah. back in the yeah. day. I yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I guess I don't think that we're doing justice to the difference that density altitude can make. I took off; it was fine. I was at this. Oh way, yeah, no, this I, temperature is fine. I agree. Yeah. You omit one detail, yeah, and it could be a vastly different performing aircraft. Yeah. Oh yeah, and sure. that's that has killed yeah. a lot of people. And I've I know where you guys are at. I don't go do you know. Oh, this time, yeah, I do it. I've, I've aborted takeoffs before because I can usually tell like before the point of no return, like this is a bad idea. And what do they say? You know, you want to have eighty percent of flying speed by fifty percent of the runway. Yeah, I don't really that's know. That's a good rule. I just I just kind of do it by sight, but. Well, you have a spot. Yeah, you're very, very yeah. comfortable with your airport and yeah. your stopping capability. But for the for an average well, airplane, yeah. yeah, make sure you have achieved eighty percent of your liftoff speed by fifty percent of your runway. Yeah, I've, that I've if aborted, you're not there, that's when you reject. I've aborted several takeoffs out of here. That's basically my density. I don't think I've never. Deck. I don't think I've ever done that just because I've when it's iffy, I run the numbers and figure out if it'll do it or not. No, that's how you. That's yeah, there's a big it. difference. That's the Scott. That's the Scott Boris guessing Chuck method. Yeah, you get about halfway down the runway, you look at your airspeed, and then you decide right then and there, yes or no. At least you have at least that going for you. <laughs> I mean, that's a good failsafe. Well, also, yeah. you don't want to think, "Hey, I okay." Well, here's one. I don't know how complicated the uh, um, flight manual is for the 150. But some of them can get complex. Yeah. If you interpolate the wrong numbers, the wrong weight, the wrong anything, oh, you yeah, can you come up with a number that tells you you're good. Yeah, you and say, oh, I'm good. You to could go be wrong. Not. Yeah, yeah. You can't just be, you know, horse blinders on, fat, dumb, and happy, rolling down the runway, and trust those numbers. Because remember, that was that's book numbers. That's when the airplane was new. Right. This, these airplanes are all old. These engines are tired. Yeah. Is this prop making the thrust? Is it the same pitch it was supposed to be? You know, these props lose pitch, which means, well, that actually kind of pushes them typically towards climb anyways, but, um, they, they lose, they do lose thrust. The engines lose horsepower. They gain weight, you know, unless you're putting it on a scale and that's why multi-engine aircraft need to be weighed every 36 calendar months. How do they gain weight? just through maintenance and getting dirty and, you know, just think metal shavings they never pick up over the years. I mean, they gain a ton of weight. They do. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a fact. They gain a ton of weight. Problem amongst large multi-engine planes. Yeah. I mean, just, just dirt and mud daubers. 2000 pounds. That seems a little excessive. Who said 2000 pounds? You said a ton. (laughs) You said they gain. They gain maybe a lot not, of weight. Maybe not a little okay, ton. Well, I'm trying to think of some. You said, you said a ton. I just, I don't, I, I can't even imagine like a 747 gaining so, 2,000 pounds. Back I mean, to maybe. How to? Mm, that that's totally different because those go by a fleet weight typically, and so it's not even really representative of your airplane. To come back, but, go ahead. You talking about a? Well, I'm just saying, like even for a large airliner, I don't think anybody's going to gain two uh, two thousand pounds. That seems a little excessive. Well, you're not also, yeah, I mean, you're probably not flying them long enough for them to gain that much. But yeah, I mean, you got to think, um, 
you uh, have reinforced this. You have a, a doubler here and extra rivets here, and you've drilled some of these rivets. You put in bigger rivets. You put in bigger screws because those got wobbled out. You got nut plates. You got dirt you, that just never got cleaned, you know, from hydraulic Wall. fluid leaking, and then dirt sticks to it, and you never got that cleaned out. Wall anchors. They gain weight. I'm not making it up. Huh? Wall anchors. Like drywall anchors. Wall. Yeah, what about it? Like Do when you have those on your plane? I used to, but somebody made me remove them all. Oh, but, you know, when you some of your screws get stripped out, you drive a wall anchor in there and put a screw in there. I don't think that's... It actually worked fairly well. I don't think that's NASA approved. It make it makes sense. What uh, what, what were you gonna say, Rob? What are you trying to get us to move I, along here? Um, I was just gonna drive back to yeah, what yeah. I said earlier after you had mentioned some stuff. Where the 150 is incredibly simple um, to do the calculations. Uh, when you do get to bigger aircraft, it becomes more and more complex. And also, when I did that. And I would run the numbers if it was close. That would be like a no-go for me because I understood it's a 1976. And like if the numbers say it can barely do it, it probably can't do it anymore. Uh, which I always yeah. thought was a, a pretty good rule of thumb to follow. Yeah. That's that's an excellent point. That would probably save somebody's life if they listened to that. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. I don't want. I don't want to beat a dead. I mean, I want to beat the dead horse. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, well, it doesn't even have to be that old. I'd like even like a '90s or an early 2000s rental. If I was running the numbers, I would probably not go if it was close, just because you know it doesn't have to be that. You know, ten years. I feel like is can start to be easily, especially on like a rental airplane. That's not you know, kept to as high a standards as like a privately held plane or it's one person flying it who it's their plane. Um, the numbers are probably not going, the performance numbers that like Cessna or Piper put out when it first came out brand new, it's probably not, probably not going to be able to do that anymore. Yeah. I mean, especially if the engines wore out, I mean, if we're, if we just leave the airframe, say the airframe is perfect, but we bolt a, midlife engine or an engine that's almost due for overhaul, you know, it's going to make it to through one more annual or one more 100 hour before it needs, you know, overhauled. They're tired. I mean, you just look at these compression numbers and see, uh, they're just not making the power that they were rated to make, you know? So, uh, and of course everything that's on, you have to remember a lot of people, they want to go fast. So they're going to, you know, if anything, well, not if anything, but a lot of people, they use the airplane to go fast. So they're going to pitch, maybe aftermarket, pitch the prop for cruise. So now what what does that book number, you know, is it representative, the climb, the climb and land, takeoff landing distance numbers? Yeah. Are those going to be represented for that airplane when you've taken that prop off and sent it to the prop shop and had it repitched two inches towards cruise? I wouldn't no, do that. It's not, it's not. I wouldn't pitch towards cruise myself, but. Not worth know, it. I mean, I guess if you're based on a super long runway, and I mean, I had a cruise prop. I place is that aftermarket, or I'm not. I don't even know. No, yours. You, they could come with two. So I, uh, the 150 I fly has a cruise prop as well. But I you mean, had I have a climb prop. In them. I was gonna say you had a What's different. Up? You had a turn. Oh, you have a different prop. You just haven't put on. I have a different prop. Yeah, I have the same prop okay. you have now. Scott. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not installed yet. Yeah. It's like a 69, uh, 48, or I want to say. I, I would actually like to but, even get mine tuned more for, for climb than what it is so, already. Or is there a negative? Yeah, so, is there a negative? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all, yeah, you're going to sacrifice some. I, I could uh, probably well, even run the numbers for other it. Than, tell you what other it's than do sacrificing for cruise. Some, some cruise speed. So, here's the thing, though. So, this would always be my argument. In the winter, it would suck if you're flying west because the higher you climb, the more jet stream, you know, the more the wind velocity goes up. So that is the drawbacks. You end up invariably staying lower than maybe you should for like power off gliding distance to a safe place if you were to lose an engine. Okay. Yeah. That would be, I don't know if all that made any sense, I, but you want to be high enough that you have options when the engine fails. If you are trying to get somewhere, you don't want to climb higher 
which gives you more options, yes, but it gets you also more less ground speed because you have more headwind. That's the negative in the winter. But I would say, by and large, what I would do is I would have the climbiest climb prop I could to stay within you know um, the uh, type certificate data sheet, which kind of governs these airplanes. They have static RPM limits on the ground. They have a minimum RPM and a maximum RPM limit on the ground. So if you stay within that, I would go towards the maximum RPM you can get on the ground, which is going to be biased towards climb. And what you need to do is you need to just like it, like right now, if you have a cruise prop and you want to climb it, or if you want to cruise at you know f- three thousand five hundred feet, turn that into five five thousand five hundred. Use that climb to go higher, and you will then regain. So you can climb faster. Yeah, and you, you right because s- you have a climb. You prop. save money. So just climb higher. We'll save money. Going up Is higher. What you I say? know you've. Preach that a lot in the past. You say, yeah. You well, you gain two and a half, two and a half percent true airspeed every yeah. thousand feet you climb. It's not even about you that for me. 5%. I mean, I fly out of a pretty short field here. Like in the well, summer, I'm just saying, yeah, that's the summertime, I'm just it'd be saying nice. there's yeah. no negative. Yeah. There's no negative, is what no. I'm trying to tell you. You just need to do fly, change your habits. If 3,500 is what you is what you need, and which kind of sucks because if you're going somewhere, the hemispherical rules tell you if you're going, so that would be an eastbound altitude anyways. So it always behooves you to go higher going east anyways because you got the tailwind almost all the time. Scott, you actually get a nosebleed so, above 2,500 though, don't you? Yeah, I don't go above 2,500. So, and you don't go, and you don't go anywhere other than like the islands. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, you don't really want to go past. We like, should Britain test this. Day. We should, t- literally, we should set up, you know, a, a, a route and and do it, yeah. And see which who what which way is actually faster. Oh, I'm sure. If you want to stay at 2,500 feet, burn extra gas and go slower. By all means. Yeah, but considering the furthest airport I fly to is like Putin Bay, and I'm just saying there's still a difference in time and money on that route. Oh, prob- probably. What well, if you're, I stay? You're Mr. Like, cheap ass that won't even do LED lights, man. What if I climb up to like 500 feet? AGL just flew straight there. You think you'd still beat me I if would, you climb I up would to just smoke you? I would really? smoke you. People don't understand. Nobody's ever put a stopwatch to it, but you'd get smoked if you went to 500 feet and barely got above the trees and just cruised there. Yeah, those would be some pretty tall trees, 500 foot. Yeah. But, what are we? I, no, no, no. I didn't. Uh, no, well, I changed my tune from 500 feet to just get above the trees and go. Okay. So 50, okay. 80, 150 feet. Go. Right. Just go straight. Yeah, you turn, get on, get going on course yeah, at 150 feet. As soon as I clear the trees, turn towards Putin Bay. Yep, do it, and you'll get smoked. Probably, yeah. You will, you will, because remember, I'm gonna. Yeah, you're you're thinking, okay, I'm beating him, you know, at, because you're going straight. You're initially, I would beat you, but you'd probably beat me once we. Got well, you want to you want to really know how is because once I'm at 3,500 feet and what's the math on that? Five miles out. Then you can I'm going to pitch that thing over, and I can take I can take it to red. No, I'm not going to chop the power. Well, cut it I'm back gonna, a little bit, a little I bit, know. just so I don't yeah. you know over rev the right. engine. But I'm going to yeah. keep it right on the maximum RPM, maximum cruise RPM, and I'm yeah. going to redline the airspeed right to the airport. Yeah. yeah, and then that doesn't even count the fact that I'm going to have a higher true airspeed than you at cru- in my cruise segment, anyways. I'm just I'm just saying there's there's advantages to going higher. Nobody wants to do it, but you, people don't realize the true performance of the airplane. They want to get into the next bigger airplane, graduate up because the airplane they have right now is not fast enough. That's why these Cirruses got popular. Well, if you flew a 182 at a higher altitude and not worry about a nosebleed or putting on oxygen, you'd go faster. Yeah, who I mean, wants to put on serious oxygen, performance? Though. What's that? Who wants to put on oxygen though? Well, no, I'm not saying literally put on oxygen. I'm just saying they're afraid they're going to get a nosebleed. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, it. it's it's not, it's just, it doesn't work that way. Take the airplane in 9,500 feet, who cares? Yeah. It's cooler up there in the summer and smoother anyways. I'm just saying, so you do the climb prop that helps your takeoff performance and helps with all the numbers we're talking about and landing performance because it's, it's more drag when you land too. Fascinating. Um. You, you okay, have, maybe not, maybe not. Uh, no, no, no. I, I wasn't saying that sarcastically. You have, so we have two one fifties <laughs> with similar 
prop setup, if you if we were going to do this experiment, we could potentially do it, could we? We tot- yeah, we totally could. I just I don't have the client prop. Wait. I don't have the same prop as Scott oh, okay. installed. Well, it's not on yet. Slap it on there. I would still, I dude, I would. Well, I definitely smoke you because, well, well, I'd lose some advantage in the climb because it's not a climb prop. Yeah, yeah. you still beat me. My one fifty slow. Well, how do you? Hmm. Rob was, I would. I would. Rob's was way faster than mine. Let's get. Yeah, it was. Well, that's because you it was a, a cruise prop, prop well, and we had yeah, how but, many coats of wax did we keep on the the one fifty that I had? Well, that's true. I know that, I waxed mine. Like that one. wax a, doesn't matter. Slippery. That wax doesn't matter. Oh. That wax doesn't oh. matter. You're nuts. A lot. Yeah, because the surface. No, a lot of hours. No, what? The air on the surface. That thing. I feel like it move, made a right? little bit of difference. The correct. Yeah, stagnation point. Yeah. Rob's trying to make himself feel better. His airplane looked pretty, yeah, but quick. it didn't perform any better. I don't know though. Where'd you paint your plane with a like a like a roller, and you paint it? Was this, you know, professionally smooth? Uh huh. That's know. probably different because you're, it's a paper thin layer of air that doesn't yeah. move. Like yeah. all those rivets sticking up, that is drag. Yeah. Like there's no doubt about that. But the yeah. wax, the microscopic difference that we feel when we run our hand over it, that doesn't matter. I, we, I had so much wax on it, it made the rivets a little bit shorterly. That's how much wax. That might be true. That's how much wax we had. On I, if you have that much wax, you wouldn't even be able to see the paint That's under it. Beautiful. You're not just filling in the pores. I'm with you. It it needs to feel good. It needs to feel good. So, but here's my question though: since we need the air to move faster on the top than the bottom to make more lift, did you like not wax the underside, or did you wax the underside too? Uh, I know I put more time in on the top, just because it was easier to do that. Like when you're looking up at the bottom and pushing up is a lot harder than pushing down. So it's for sure. That's it. Uh, Basically you must be familiar with all available information concerning that flight. That's the, that's the summary of it. I mean, they could technically, if they wanted to get you on anything you could potentially known that you somehow didn't know, they could press that, that clause right there in the beginning of the reg. And that's something I would bring up there. I mean, anytime you go for a check ride, anytime you can bust somebody for anything at any time there, you can always, there's always somebody who knows more and there's always somebody who has a hot spot on something. They are an expert on something and they will get you there if they want to get you. But you know, most FAA inspectors are very reasonable. They're just pilots, just like the rest of us. They're not there to get you. Uh, if, if they want to get you because they obviously saw you do something wrong or there's there's something and some of them are just having a bad day, but I've never met one in, in that, uh, you know, at ramp checking or giving me a check ride. They was out to get you. Um, so just, yeah, just keep that in mind. But they can, th- that's a catch all, like you said earlier, Rob. But I mean, if you think about this, you're going to go on a long distance flight or an IFR flight. Duh. You need Look at the weather, <laughs> know how much fuel you need, know what, you know, if, if you can't complete it uh, as planned, have alternatives in mind, you know, and um, know any delays because that factors in how much fuel you may need. Um, obviously, know your performance numbers, take off and landing. Um, and remember, if you're doing, I can't think necessarily of a, uh, of a situation that may uh, uh, factor in for a, like a light GA airplane, but I've had situations in a jet where you have to, you got to run your numbers for takeoff at your, don't just worry necessarily about the fact that you can take off from where you started, land where you ended. You got to worry about, can I take off where I ended with my proposed load? That matters when you start getting a transport category airplanes, um, you know, cause they, they can land places they can't get out of with yeah. certain weights. And I run into that. So you have to factor that in. You know, in a light GA airplane, it, chances are if you can get in, you can get out. Um, obviously, look at the weather. You know, make sure the temperature hasn't changed dramatically. And, you know, you weren't on the edge like we've beat to death. But make sure if, if, it's, if it's close, make sure you're planning on what you're going to weigh, what the temperature and stuff's going to be uh, at your departure if it's close at your uh, depart or your Speak- destination airport. 
Does that make sense? sense. Speaking of that situation, you said landing and then not being able to take off. Um, the airport we used to work at, uh, I, so friends of my family flew in from Colorado in a Piaggio Avante and landed there and the pilots like locked up the brakes and I don't know if they skidded, almost skidded or something. And then they, they couldn't take off. They'd like take off light fuel with no passengers and go to like Lorain County, I think to like actually take off and go back to Colorado. I don't know if that was just the. They not realize I don't know if that was just the pilot, not so great pilot, or. They, uh, I don't know much about a, a, a Piazza Avante, but I would think they wouldn't have a problem getting out of a. That's what. Thirty-five hundred. They're so like a jet. They're they're very similar to jet, you know, type performance, yeah. including takeoff performance. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Even the airplanes I fly, which are incredibly high performance, I mean, I would not take one into that into thirty five hundred feet. Yeah. Well, I, de- I definitely wouldn't land it there, and I so I definitely wouldn't take off. So. What's the what's the biggest? Yeah, I mean, what's the biggest plane that ever came in there? I think a Falcon fifty. Yeah, which is you know big, incre- incredible, incredible performing airplane. Probably weren't insured to come in there. Or? Well, probably not. But I mean. Well, I mean, whatever. I mean, they they may have made sure they may have been insured, but I mean, typically it's four thousand feet for most of these airplanes. Four thousand is the absolute minimum, and even our company policy is five thousand in this airplane, and five thousand is short. But in, in a yeah, there's not much yeah, not like, much margin because remember, in these when you when you have five thousand feet of pavement, that means you only have four thousand feet to land on because you touch down a thousand feet down the runway. Yeah. So you cross the threshold at about 50 feet and you land about a thousand feet down the runway. And you're flying professionally. You're not trying to get the wheels on three feet off of the, the lip at the start. You know, you're no. giving yourself yeah. more margin yeah. than that. Yeah. Well, it's a transport category airplane. So we have to remain on the glide path and those thousand footers, you know, threshold crossing height is roughly 50 feet. Look at your chart. Every airport's different, but yeah. Hmm. Um, Look at the fixed distance markers, aiming point markers, whatever you want to call them. The big white blocks a thousand feet down the runway. That's what we're aiming for to touch down right there. Because that's our three degree glide slope. So if you have a five thousand foot runway, you only have four thousand feet to use, really, you know, to to get down and stopped. So that that eats up quickly. If you want to change, you know, your technique and be maybe a little bit basically outside of like the regulations and the aircraft performance data and touch down right on the edge of the runway, which I've done. I've, you know, I took a Lear 31 into a 4,000 foot runway before, which sounds like a ton of runway. Well, I mean, kind of is, but when I finally got it stopped, now I, I plan to touch down basically right at the threshold as close as I could. And I'm sure I left, you know, uh, several hundred feet behind me, but you know, you don't want to cut it too close. Um, and knock the wheel off, like ask me how I know. So <laughs> you, I touched down, you know, a couple hundred feet, 300 feet down the runway, got on the brakes and the reverses best I can. And I'm, we used all the runway, used all of it. Yeah. That'd be, that'd so, be sketchy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it happens quick when you're touching down at 130 knots, Yeah, you know, it, it, and it happens quick. So I, I just, I'm just, you know, that, that's just back to the point of, you know, yeah, you can be intimately familiar with your airplane, but just never take it for granted, you know, with the external, you know, what weight and temperature basically, I guess, are the big ones, what they'll do to the performance. Definitely. Um, that's all I got for this one. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a short one, short, short and sweet. And sweet. Got it under an hour. Um, yeah. email preferred method of communication. My email is F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com. B-E-R-G-E-R. The German way, not the sandwich lay, way. Uh, Lee is F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com. G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Scott is F-A-R-A-I-M at ScottBoris.com. B-O-R-E-S. Um, we're dropping, what's the app we're supposed to be dropping now? Good, Good pods. pods. We're dropping that for a while. Love it. Um, app. It's a podcast listening app. Uh, we got the. I got the handle at Rob. Lee's at Lee. Scott, yours is at Boris. Correct. Some other dude. I think so. Yeah. Other yeah. dude took at Scott. 
Um, so yeah, we rate each episode on that one, which is different than a lot of the other ones. You can follow other listeners, see what they're listening to. It's interesting. We're going to play with play around with it for a while, see if we like it. Uh, if you're interested in trying out a new one, uh, give it a try and uh, give us a follow over there. Um, until next time, take care. Thanks, guys. See ya. When you uh, yeah, when you worked for a flying service, did you ever sit on the wing of an aircraft with your hand on the wax rag and pretend that you were waxing the plane? Uh, possibly for hours <laughs> until someone <laughs> walked in, and then I would start moving it start, and putting in a lot of moving your hand in a circular motion. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, and by then, the wax had probably dried. <laughs> I just <laughs> have to reapply. Yeah, nobody, nobody's, nobody's looking that closely. <laughs> so, oh my god, I believe that we had a term for that, didn't we? Perching. Yes, that's what it was. Perching. <laughs> yeah, perching. Yeah, you, yeah, you'd get a you'd get a rag. All right, everyone out there listening, who's like line service? All right, this is a, this is golden golden wisdom here from old line guys. Uh, you get all ready to do a job. And if like, you know, you don't really like if you finish the job and then you got to like another hour or something to think of something to do and you don't want to do that, you just make the job last longer. You just basically stop the job at a comfortable point and just kind of sit there. Yeah. And then the moment someone walks in, the by, you just continue doing the job. So the all you see is like, yeah. man, he's still working. He's that guy's a go-getter. Yeah. He's going after the, Nobody ever said that about you, Rob. No, <laughs> no, no, no one. That guy's a go-getter. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he works so hard at waxing that he falls asleep in the other airplanes. That's <laughs> yeah. what they were thinking. Yeah. It was, it was exhausting. You do this so much waxing. You got to take a little nap in the comfortable corporate jet chairs once in a while. Oh my god! <laughs> then you just then I mean you're cleaning those. Sit in sit inside. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. You get a spray bottle, and then yeah. you can really you can really hear when someone's coming that because the whole plane starts to move a little bit when they're walking up the ladder. It wakes you up, you, and that's what wakes you up. You start Perfect. you know wiping that that leather leather um you know essential oils what and was, stuff. What was good about the place we worked at? You could actually hear the door from the the main office close open and close from the main hangar. It's like if somebody was walking out of the main office, you could hear that door when you were in the main hangar. Like you knew. It's crazy. I totally forgot about that. I remember that though. Yeah. You could totally hear it. Yeah. I remember that. It's just something I hadn't thought about in years. Yeah. The sound was very distinct. You knew what the the sound made. Yeah. Oh, and it would cut through all kinds oh, of other yeah. noises. Yeah. Like you knew the exact frequency and yeah. everything oh, that yeah. were made. Yep. You knew somebody was coming out wow. there. I don't know why wow. that door was so noisy, but it was. It was a big. And heavy. you almost knew how long you had for oh, yeah, you heard that until yeah, yeah. the time somebody walked in that door. I took about 40 seconds for them to walk from there. Yeah, so, 40, 45 yeah. seconds. Yeah. 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 You had to get this timing down. It helps your perching yeah. strategy. You play the long game. <laughs> You know, the honestly, I only did it. I only, I was a pretty hard worker, but I only did, I would only do it in the winter when there was nothing to do. And like, I'd already cleaned all the hangers and I already cleaned all the planes. It's like, it's the weekend, so I can't help the mechanics with anything. And it's like, there's nothing else to do. So that was, you know, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, we could almost designate some, some of these episodes for line guy, line yeah. guy tips. Tricks, yeah, tips and tricks of the yeah. trade. Wow. Don't even get a start on mowers. We'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh man. Yeah. I don't we have aged ones. Can you come up and weed eat around the front building? I was like, oh, Rob just did that. And they're like, Yeah, we know. Can can you come up <laughs> can you come up and do it? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I did it quickly. Scott did it thoroughly. <laughs> you you just sprayed never mind. Oh that's yeah, that's another story. <laughs> you did. Around the out, around the other buildings, around the main, the main office, I'd weedy, but the uh, all the hangers. That's when probably some EPA violations will skip over. No, um, no, where no, were we no, on the no, regulation? No, 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 no. Yeah, what Scott place? has mesothelioma now. <laughs> I'd go to the store and use the company card and buy some Roundup, and I'd go around the the buildings and spray all the weeds. And I always got complimented on keeping uh, the weeds trimmed so nicely. <laughs> I did, though. Go get her. I remember you were ahead of your time, Scott. You were ahead of your time. Bosses, the, there's two of them. I don't know if you know them, Lee. But I got complimented by both of them for keeping the weeds so nice and trimmed around the hangers. Little did I know when they were uh, when they were both gone, I'd go to the store and buy some Roundup and just go around and spray them like twice a year instead of doing a weed eating once a week or whatever. It's like this is a waste of time. The only time I ever got compliments from them, it had nothing to do with the job at all. It was um, <laughs> I just I'd fly in in my plane on like an off day with a lady friends. Only time I'd ever. Uh, yeah, positive, yeah. positive things said about me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Gotta keep that kid off the clock. That's what they were thinking. Wow! If only I knew that's what it took. Yep. I never got complimented. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Wrong son. Uh, anyways, yeah. We were. <laughs> You were born too late. Pre-flight action. Um, 